Good afternoon, this is Quintus Curtius, and welcome back to the podcast. It's Sunday, December 20th, 2015, and I wanted to do this podcast. It's a special podcast directed for one young man, and I got the idea to do this from reading a thread on a forum written by a, a young man from Sweden, I think, and This is a guy who seems to be consumed by despair and feelings of fatalism and resignation. And the gist of what his problem is, is that he's basically saying, look, I'm a 27-year-old guy. I feel like a loser trapped in a, uh, uh, you know, a a good man's body, Um, living with my parents. I haven't, uh, you know, been with a girl in two years. I haven't kissed a girl in two years. I feel like I feel hopeless. I feel like a complete loser. And so on and so on. And I I responded in the thread already. And I kind of ripped this guy a new one. Just to try to get his juices flowing. To get him up on, on his feet and get moving again. But after seeing some of the other responses some from some of the other posters. I thought it would be useful to make a podcast about the issue. And give some more insight and some more reasons about survival. What does it take to survive? Because I think that's what this guy needs. I think this guy needs a little bit of a talk, needs a little bit of a lecture on what it takes to survive, what it, what everyone needs in order to keep going and to survive in this world. So this podcast is for you, man. So I want you to listen. And if you need to play this again, I want you to play it again. So the bottom line is this. In order to get yourself motivated again and get up and going, you've got to come to certain realizations. Certain switches need to be turned in your brain, and you've got to really want them to be turned. And that first switch is this. The only one that cares about you is you. The only one that cares about you is you. You've got to not just say that. You've got to know that. You've got to know that. Okay? Everybody out there is going to offer you their two cents. Everyone is going to give you their suggestions. Some people mean well, some don't, some are apathetic. Regardless, the only one that cares about you is you. Time is short. Life is short. Life is too short to be wasted with feelings of depression and hopelessness and negativity because you're going to look back and you're going to say, why the hell was I such an asshole that I worried about these things? Why did I waste my time doing that when I could have been out enjoying life? Okay, so that's the first realization you need to come to. The second realization you need to come to is this. Success comes and survival happens when you realize that no one is going to help you. Okay, it's sort of a corollary of the first point. No one is going to help you. The only one that cares about you is you. Okay, you know, there was a great movie that came out in the uh, late 90s, and it was called The Edge. It was uh, directed by David Mamet. Great movie. And um, I think uh, the the actors in it, you've got uh, Alec Baldwin and um, uh, another British actor whose name I can't remember off the top of my head. But in, in any way, I think it came out in 97. Very good movie. There's a great scene in there. Oh, Anthony Hopkins, that's his name. There's a great scene in there where Anthony Hopkins tells Alec Alec Baldwin that 
you know, they're talking about what it takes to survive alone in the wilderness. What does it take to survive in the wilderness? And Anthony Hopkins makes the very perceptive observation that people often die of shame. They don't often die for lack of trying. Well, they do lie, They do die from lack of trying, but what triggers the lack of effort is shame. They are overwhelmed by feelings of guilt and shame and the inability to process what's happening to them. That's what matters, that inability to process them. So you should go out and see this movie, See the Edge. And when you hear that quote, I want you to remember this podcast. People die in the wilderness of shame. Don't be that guy. Don't be that person who falls on the side of the road or collapses in the woods and dies. Okay? Because you have the power to take action to change things. You can do it. You can do it. And the only one that cares about you is you. All right. Now, for the second, well, for the for the remainder of this podcast, I'm going to talk about the lessons of prison camp survival that I'm that I've drawn from a very very good book. And it's, the book is called Prisoners of the Japanese by Gavin Dawes. The author's name is G A V A N D A W S. And I wrote a post on my blog about this book and this guy back in July, and you could find it on my blog. The the um and there's a link to the book there as well. The title um, and the uh, the title of the article is uh, The Ethic of Prison Camp Survival. The Ethic of Prison Camp Survival. Now, why do I think talking about prison camp survival is relevant to your problem or to this problem? Because I think in many ways, men are going through a very, very difficult time right now. Uh, It's not your imagination that you feel this way. It's something that affects all of us. This is a very, very difficult time for men. And in some ways, the analogy of being in a prison camp is an appropriate one. All right. Nobody out there wants you to succeed. The system is is stacked against you. The deck is stacked against you. The people that are running the show here, they're not favoring us. They're not favoring men. They're favoring women. They're favoring um, you know, certain privileged minorities and subclasses and, and special groups for their own reasons. And I don't want to get into all that right now because you've heard it all before, and that's not going to help you to think about that. But your feelings of helplessness in some ways are based on fact. All right. So in extraordinary times, we have to take extraordinary measures. And the ethic of prison camp survival is an appropriate analogy to graft on to the present reality that we're all living in. Okay. We're all in the same boat. We're all in there with you, man. So that's the place, that's the place where we need to start. And the lessons that I want to talk about were taken right from Gavin Dawes's book. And I'm going to go through them. I'm going to paraphrase them. And then I'm going to read a passage from his book. And I think once you hear all that, you're going to feel much better. You're going to feel much more inspired and much more reflective of what it, of what it takes to survive in an extremely adverse environment. The lessons here are coming from a a survivor of the prison camps, and this guy's name was Forrest Knox. And he was a student of survival. And he came up with some good points about what he observed from living in prison camps in the Philippines and um, and then and also in Singapore, and then in mainland Japan even. So what were some of those observations? Well the first one was good physical conditioning with something good physical conditioning was something, 
but it was not enough by itself. Okay, uh, people who were champion athletes might not survive the camps. Uh, they might worry too much about what was happening to their bodies. Uh, you know, big, heavy set men had a hard time. They required more fuel to feed their bodies. So, um, yeah, physical strength was important, but at the same time, it wasn't everything, okay? And we need to keep in mind here that in these prison camps in World War II in the Pacific, the Japanese essentially starved and beat all their prisoners for years on end so that when liberation finally came, they were literally, literally skeletons, walking skeletons. So good physical conditioning was something, but it wasn't enough. All right, uh, Guys who were excessive drinkers also had a hard time because there was no liquor available. Okay, And at the same time, you know, uh, you might ask, well, was age, what, what was the calculus of age? Well, Old men, older men might have an advantage because they had more seasoning and, and perhaps were able to understand what was happening to them and make sense of the, of the situation that they were in. Uh, but on the other hand, young men, young men might also have an advantage because their bodies were stronger and hardier and they could withstand uh, shocks more. So some young POWs were still growing boys and the, uh, the Japanese ration scale was bound to be punishing for them. Uh, life experience seemed to be important too, and that was something that could only come with the years. Uh, life experience brought a tempered discipline, or at least it might. Whereas if a young man was too young, he might be overwhelmed by what was happening to him, and this might cause him to fold. And that's kind of the impression I got from reading this guy's thread, the Swedish guy who I talked about earlier. Uh, he might, his uh, he, the fact that he's only in his 20s might somehow be overwhelming to him and he's not able to cope. So that's why we're trying to keep this guy afloat here. And then there was, in calculating the, the calculus of prison camp survival, the eternal question about, well, did city boys do better than country boys? Were, were city boys better uh, at survival than country boys? Well, there were different schools of thought on this. Some people thought that country boys might have the advantage because of their rustic background and their uh, alleged ability to have uh, to go without might be an advantage. But on the other hand, city boys also, you could say they had an advantage because they were more willing to scrounge. They had kind of a street smarts and a street sense that country boys might lack. So no one really ever came to a firm resolution of that question of whether country or city boys uh, did better in, in prison camp. Uh, intelligence? Not necessarily everything. Uh, it, it certainly helped, but um, Forrest Knox talks about one guy who was an experienced soldier, and he was supposed to be one of the smartest tanker of anybody in the in the battalion. I guess he had an IQ of 160. He could quote army regulations word for word from memory, but he didn't make it either. He died early because he wouldn't eat rice. You know, Forrest watched him die and then made up his own mind that he would eat anything as a matter of stubbornness. And from then on, stubbornness seemed to him to be more useful than intelligence in surviving. And that is a good lesson. Intelligence is something, but it's not enough. You need to have willpower. You need to have willpower. A strong philosophy could also be a help. It did not necessarily have to be a religion. Some men held on to their faith in the camps. Some lost it. A few found it, but not many. There were ebbs and surges in faith, just 
as there were variations among the chaplains. You know, some some chaplains were useless, were weak sisters. Some were very strong. Some were very trustworthy. Some were untrustworthy. There was just no way to tell. Everything depended on the man. And if a person didn't have religious faith, then a man at least needed something to sustain the idea that life was worth living. Even hate would do. Even hate can sustain you. Defiance. And this was what Forrest Knox used, and he wasn't the only one. And I'm going to read a little bit from Gavin Dawes's book here, which tell more about this subject. There was an Englishman who knew shorthand in the camps. He used it to note atrocities, dates, places, Japanese names. There was an Australian also who used to do portrait sketches for the guards, the way he did for his friends. Except that with the guards, he would always hold back a copy of the portrait sketch to identify them as war criminals. And then there was another Australian who kept himself alive by sharpening his knife every day against the time when the Japanese Prime Minister Tojo might visit his camp. So again, the point here is, you need something to sustain you. You need something to sustain you. Whether it's religious faith, or whether you have that, or whether you don't, you need something. I'm going to read a little bit more from the book here on these points. The survival wisdom that came early to Forrest came to others in season and was added to as time went by. Single men might have an edge because they had no wife and family to fret over. On the other hand, married men with children might, might have the edge because they had something to go home to. Men who made themselves too obvious for any reason were buying trouble. Trying to stay invisible made better sense. Do not attract attention. Do not stand out in the crowd. And this is something I learned from my own self from my experience in the military is stay off the skyline. Don't skyline yourself. That is inviting trouble and that's bad. Plan carefully. Husband energy. Be considerate, but at the same time be determined to survive. These were good thoughts. But at the end of the day, there was no real explanation for who lived and who died. Strong men died and weak men lived. Good men died and the orneriest of characters lived. In the end, survival in the POW camps was a great mystery. Faith and digging in garbage cans. Maybe that was about as much as could be said. And maybe even that was not to the point. Maybe the will to live was a gift, like having a good voice, and everything else was luck or fate. Now, that I, I think that really crystallizes the ethic that I want to communicate to listeners here in this podcast. Whether you survive or not, when you are going through life, when you're going through difficult times, that is the key thing. Faith and digging in garbage cans. Now, when I say faith, I'm not talking about, uh, not necessarily talking about a religious faith, although that, if that works for you, hey, great. I mean any strongly held conviction that can motivate you and keep you frosty, keep you alive, keep you on the edge, keep your juices flowing, just like we talked about. Faith can be hate. Faith can be defiance. Faith can be rage. can be all those things. You need faith, but you also need to be willing to do what's necessary. You've got to be willing to dig in garbage cans. You've got to be willing to dig in garbage cans. And if you combine those two things, faith and the ability 
to do what you have to do to survive, you will survive because everyone's luck changes sooner or later. And you've got to be there and you've got to be ready when the changing of the season happens. Because if you're flat on your back, if you're lingering and languishing because of shame, then you're going to miss the opportunities. I'm going to close this podcast by reading a great passage here from Gavin Dawes's book, which I think really summarizes the things that we've been talking about here. He says, there may have been no atheist in there may have been no atheists in foxholes, but in but in prison camp there were plenty of fatalists. The famous phrase about atheists and foxholes originated on Bataan and was coined by William Cummings, an army chaplain, a Catholic, as fervent a believer as there ever was, a true servant of God in the camps. But God did not see fit to bring Cummings out of captivity alive. In the face of dark mysteries like that, and coming up against the terrible things the Japanese did to their prisoners every day, it was easy to lapse into apathy or depression, and that condition was something that neither doctors nor chaplains could cure. Men who gave up trying to keep themselves clean were putting themselves in the way of decline. Men who traded their rice ration for cigarettes were putting themselves in the way of death. Forrest saw this for himself in Company A, the Madison brothers, Harold and Ralph, known as Curly and Dimples, made it to Cabanatuan, it's the name of a prison camp, but Curly had a bad nicotine habit, and he started trading off his food for smokes. There was a camp saying about men who did this, he is smoking himself to group four, there being no group four. Curly had the offer from some of the Janesville tribe that if he would eat his food, they would steal smokes for him. But he was too far gone, and he died. In the sick bays, and especially among sub-tribes, most men would make an effort, would make a big effort to keep a sinking man afloat and swimming for himself. They would joke with him or insult him, even slap him and kick him, anything to keep his vital juices flowing. But after a certain point, though, there was wisdom in knowing when to stop. When a man truly gave up, when he would not help himself, then there was no help for him. And this is the point, the takeaway point, that I want you to get out of this podcast. You've got to have conviction, you've got to have faith, and you've got to be willing to dig in garbage cans. Because if you succumb to give up itis, then you're lost. All is lost. What is give up itis? Well, this is another phrase, another word that I got from this book, in, from Gavin Dawes's book. And give up itis is the disease, the infectious disease of surrendering, of resignation, of fatalistic lying down and allowing yourself to be defeated. That's what give up itis is. And if there's one thing that enrages me more than anything else, it's hearing that or seeing that because it's infectious. Defeatism is infectious. And when you allow yourself to be consumed by give up itis, you can transmit it to other people, you can infect yourself, you can infect others, and it becomes a sinking spiral from which there is no escape. So you've got to do it for yourself. No one can do it for you. You've got to do it for yourself. And what I've tried to do in this podcast is talk about some of the the ethics and features 
of survival in adverse situations, what it takes to survive, what mental state of mind that you need, and what are some of the, uh, the characteristics of those who survive and those who do not. But in the end of the, at the end of the day, when all is said and done, it all comes down to you. Maybe it really is a talent. Maybe it really is like having a good voice or an athletic ability or, or some other ability. There are those who are going to be defiant and there are those who are going to lie down and die. So the decision is yours. The decision is yours. And you've got to decide, you've got to decide how you want to live your life and what you want to do. So that's my message to you, uh, Mr. Young Man from Sweden. From that thread that I talked about at the beginning. And I hope that you've listened to this and internalized this and that you can take action. All right, I've said enough. This is Quintus Curtius, and this podcast again was brought to you for courtesy of Fortress of the Mind. And I hope you have a good holiday, and I'll be talking to you soon. Good afternoon.